Before I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I ate a diet that best fit my lifestyle. What we eat is important, and decisions about what we put into our bodies are often influenced by the priorities we juggle in our daily lives. With long hours at the hospital, I would grab what was convenient, not necessarily the healthiest foods. In this episode, we're going to discuss what to eat and what to avoid when you've been given a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And we'll share some of the people and resources that can support good dietary decisions. One of the things I want to do today is to advocate for people with Parkinson's to connect with a registered dietitian. We'll also discuss how to prepare and eat nutritional meals while experiencing motor and non-motor symptoms. Eating with a bowl helps me and a bowl that I can pick up and scoop with my fork, not just skewer with my fork. The Parkinson's Disease Podcast was created for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for formal medical advice. Please talk to your qualified healthcare provider for personal medical diagnosis and treatment. Welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Steckline. Changing what you eat in the midst of living with a chronic illness can be intimidating, but there are benefits to finding a diet that works well for people with Parkinson's disease. There is no one diet that's recommended for Parkinson's disease. This is Christine Ferguson, a registered dietitian and researcher at the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability at the University of Alabama. There are two diet patterns that show promise for people with Parkinson's, one of which being the Mediterranean diet. There have been a lot of research showing that following a Mediterranean diet can be helpful in not only reducing a person's risk of Parkinson's, but also potentially slowing the progression of the disease. The Mediterranean diet is probably the diet that I follow most closely. This is Cat Hill a person living with Parkinson's who we've heard from throughout the series. I wanted to minimize anything that might be contributing to my Parkinson's disease or anything else that was making me feel not great. This diet is a popular recommendation for people with Parkinson's. It's characterized by high fish intake, whole grains, lots of vegetables and fruit, and it's mostly a plant-based diet. They do allow red wine intake. They do allow some soft cheeses. I don't follow a strict diet. I do still eat dairy, but very limited amounts. So a lot of things like nuts, beans, lots of vegetables, definitely some fruits, but not lots and lots of fruit. Usually the fruit is paired with some proteins. However, adopting a new diet like the Mediterranean diet can be hard and expensive. The foods I recommended aren't necessarily as accessible here in the U.S. So depending on where you live, if you live more inland, fish is going to be really expensive. So if they recommend you eat fish at least four to five times per week, that can get really costly. There may be parts of the Mediterranean diet either that you don't like, you cannot tolerate, or that really don't jive with how you feel, and that's okay. I think that if you don't like one diet or expert, try a different one, and you might have to change what works for you. 
But there's also a newer diet that's a hybrid of the Mediterranean diet. It's called the MIND diet. The MIND diet combines the Mediterranean diet with portions of the DASH diet. While the Mediterranean diet has been shown to support brain health, the DASH diet is designed to help treat or prevent high blood pressure. The MIND diet, spelled M-I-N-D, stands for Mediterranean DASH Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay, and it was created to help slow the loss of brain function that can happen as we age. The MIND diet is a little bit easier to follow. Dark green leafy vegetables are recommended almost every day. So this will be like your spinach, your kale, your collards, your bok choy. The fish intake is only once a week. And it also highlights nuts, seeds, beans, berries. There are also specific foods that should be avoided as part of the MIND diet. So really limiting intakes of cheese, processed sugary foods, desserts like pies, pastries, other sources of saturated fat, which is found mostly in animal products. That's not to say that I never eat a hamburger and french fries because that would be a flat out lie, but it is not my go-to. It's more a treat. Just like exercise, dietitians advise people with Parkinson's to make small changes that they can keep up consistently. What I usually tell people is just be a little more conscious and reflective on what you're eating now. Any incremental changes that you can make to that diet is going to be helpful. Try to remember, it's better to make whatever small changes you can rather than none at all. I know that I may not feel 100% after that hamburger, but in general, I find that moderation with those things keeps me pretty healthy. So why are the mind and the Mediterranean diet suggested? The reason why these two diets are really popular is because they emphasize high intakes of vitamin E, vitamin B12, and folate. And the fruits and vegetables recommended are also high in antioxidants. Antioxidants help protect your cells against substances which may play a role in heart disease, cancer, and other conditions. So they're really going to stave off that chronic low-grade inflammation that leads to neurodegeneration. If you'd like to learn more about which foods provide the most antioxidants, head to healthunmuted.com to find a link to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Diet PDF, complete with a shopping list and meal ideas, and reviewed by today's guest, Christine Ferguson. Parkinson's disease can impact the way the body breaks down food. So symptoms like constipation can be common. Cat Hill has been addressing her constipation through a number of small changes. I think there's probably three components that I find really help keep things moving along regularly. Exercise, lots of water intake, and lots of fiber in my diet. If I'm not doing that consistently for a couple of days, it doesn't take me long to then suffer some constipation. One way to help resolve constipation is to get fiber from lots of different sources, such as vegetables, fruits, and whole grains. Really the key is variety here, trying to get your fiber from a lot of different sources. So whole grains include like brown rice, whole wheat, all of those grains that aren't refined. And if you're wondering how to tell which foods have whole grains and which are refined, here's an easy way to tell. 
So if you look on your bread right now or like your pasta at home, if the first ingredient says like enriched wheat, then that's not a whole grain. It's important to increase fiber slowly to avoid making constipation worse. If you're going to increase your fiber, it's good to know about how much you're consuming now. You want to get to at least 25 grams per day, but you cannot make a big jump overnight or else you're going to make your current problem even worse. It needs to be paired with an increase in fluid intake, preferably water intake. As well as drinking enough water, you can increase your fluids by having some warm drinks like tea or coffee. Just be conscious of caffeine intake. Caffeine can actually help stimulate things, but some people don't want to have too much caffeine. And if that's the case, then do a warm decaf coffee. I still do drink caffeine and I will occasionally have an iced black tea at lunchtime in the summer. I have lots of herbal teas that I may drink, especially on a cold night. You can also try eating foods that contain prebiotics and probiotics to improve gastric symptoms like constipation. Probiotics are the good, healthy bacteria that we believe can really support your gut health and it can really help metabolize certain foods. Natural sources of probiotics are going to be your fermented foods, things like Greek yogurt, kimchi, kefir, sauerkraut. While probiotics contain this healthy bacteria that's good for gut health, prebiotics act as the food for that good bacteria and can be found in a lot of foods, including the fruits, vegetables, and whole grains we've already heard about in the Mind and Mediterranean diets. In addition to constipation, another digestive system challenge people with Parkinson's can face is GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux disease. Mayo Clinic describes GERD as occurring when stomach acid frequently flows back into the tube that connects the mouth to the stomach. It can create a sour taste or produce a bitter liquid in your mouth, accompanied by heartburn or chest pains. I was having regular GERD gastroesophageal reflux and would treat it intermittently with medicines. It has gone 100% away since really focusing on diet. And I'm shocked by that. When you eat certain foods, it can aggravate that. It's hard, especially when someone's dealing with multiple symptoms at once. And sometimes the recommendations may completely contradict each other. That's why one of the things I want to do today is to advocate for people with Parkinson's to connect with a registered dietitian because that's their job to help navigate all those conflicting recommendations. You're listening to the Parkinson's Disease Podcast, part of the Health Unmuted Audio Library. Please like, subscribe, or follow this series on your favorite podcast player to stay aware of all future episode releases and check out the other mini series that are available too. So far, we've talked about some of the changes to food and nutrition that can benefit people with Parkinson's disease, as well as some of the symptoms that can be experienced. Next, let's talk about food preparation. Many people with Parkinson's experience motor symptoms that can affect their ability to cook or even shop for food. Dr. Mather, a person living with Parkinson's we've met in earlier episodes, struggles with making food if she is in the off time of her medication. We've talked about off time in a previous episode, and it refers to the time that the medications start to wear off. 
I find stirring very difficult if I'm off. I find flipping things very difficult if I'm off. I find cutting things with knives very difficult if I'm off. So those are some things I've had to adjust to. There are a lot of adaptive kitchen tools available to make preparing food easier, such as chopping boards with buffers to prevent food slipping and automatic stirring spoons. Using a food processor to chop ingredients can be useful too. I simply can't safely chop carrots anymore, but I can buy a bag of shredded carrots. I can buy lettuce that's already washed and prepared. I can even buy pre-cooked hard-boiled eggs that are peeled. There are also other shortcuts you can use to make eating nutritious meals less effort and more affordable. Whenever you do buy canned foods, if it's vegetables, it needs to be those low-salt alternatives. For fruit, it needs to be packed in its own juice or in water with no added sugar. Once you have prepared your food, eating it can present some new problems. I need to be cautious about talking and eating at the same time. The times that I've gotten into trouble choking has been when I'm trying to do both at once. And because I eat a lot of salad and fresh vegetables, I'm also very aware that I need to chew things thoroughly before trying to swallow them. It takes more effort in the swallowing. In the next episode, we'll learn more about issues with swallowing and hear from a speech and language pathologist. For now, let's talk about ways to make feeding yourself easier if you're living with Parkinson's disease and experiencing tremors. So when you have tremors in your arms, it can make everything that you do with your hands a lot more tricky. This is Dr. Archie, an occupational therapist. She gave us tips on accessible home changes on a previous episode, and she's back to explain how eating can be made easier too. And so the first thing that people complain about is difficulty with self-feeding. And so if you're trying to pick something up from your plate and bring it to your mouth and your hand is shaking from point A to point B, you might end up with like two peas left in your spoon and you had a whole spoonful. But there are small adjustments that might help. First thing is positioning. So we want you to sit in a nice, sturdy, straight back chair that has armrests and at a table that's also nice and sturdy because the more support you can give your core, the less your tremors will affect you. Eating with a bowl helps me, and a bowl that I can pick up and scoop with my fork, not just skewer with my fork. That's how I've solved some of the manual dexterity pieces. At this point, you're also gonna need to disregard those table manners you were taught as a child. And you want to put your arms on the table. I know that's rude, but your arms need some support so that the only thing that's really moving is from the elbow down. And then start with using a spoon instead of using a fork. If you can use a big wide soup spoon, that might be enough to solve your problem. We might recommend a swivel spoon where the end of the spoon is also shaking opposite of what your shaking is doing. A swivel spoon has a built-in mechanism that allows the spoon to stay level and prevent food from spilling when it's not held at the ideal angle. And so it's moving as you're moving and the peas are staying put. So that's a simple solution there. And then you can upgrade that to a more automatic device like the Liftware Steady. Instead of just swinging back and forth, it also can go up and down so that by the time the food gets to your mouth, there's still some food on your utensil. 
The Liftware Study is one of the many different tools that are available to help with eating that we'll link to in the show notes. And there are also multi-purpose adaptive tools that will help with a lot of household activities. You also might consider something like adding weights to your wrist, and they make these weighted bracelets now that don't look like your normal exercise weights that you would put on your wrist, although they will both work just as fine. But I know that the extra weight on your wrist can sometimes help weight down your tremors so that they're not as impactful for the everyday things that you're doing. Interested in learning more? Let's hear about some resources that can help you do just that. If you'd like to learn more about nutrition, diet, food preparation, and eating tips for people with Parkinson's disease, head to healthunmuted.com to find a full list of resources, including a PDF guide from the Michael J. Fox Foundation, reviewed by today's guest, Christine Ferguson, and links to some adaptive tools that can help. There's also a selection of other podcasts that may be helpful as you continue to learn more about this disease, such as When Life Gives You Parkinson's. And you can connect with other people who are living well with Parkinson's by joining PD Avengers, a global advocacy group. In the next episode, we talk to people with Parkinson's about their experiences with voice and communication issues. I was having trouble with my voice. I was a soft voice. My wife was complaining about she couldn't hear me, and I thought I was speaking loud enough, but I wasn't. We'll also speak to John Dean, a speech and language pathologist who will suggest tips to make speaking and listening a little easier. There's some basically attention deficits, and there's issues with maintaining focus sometimes, and that can influence the speech with very common word retrieval problems. Thanks to Christine Ferguson and Dr. Archie for their professional expertise, and to Kat Hill and Dr. Mather for sharing their personal experiences. This is the Parkinson's Disease Podcast, hosted by me, Anna Steckline. This show is a part of the Health Unmuted audio library by Mission-Based Media. To listen and learn more, visit healthunmuted.com and follow our show on your favorite podcast player. And be sure to share this podcast with the people in your life.